Good evening. Tonight we are going to be talking about rubbish. You're listening to the spotlight, and I'm not. Ladies, gentlemen, please take your seats. The spotlight is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. I'm Mystery Matt, and you're listening to Season 7, Episode 1 of the Mystery Matt Spotlight Podcast. This evening, as we do every beginning of the season, we are starting off with a murder mystery or something of that flavor. Uh, I say that because uh, we've got a different twist on kind of uh, murders or or, um, unsolved kind of things. Either way, I'm going to throw it over to uh, Sarah, who is joined by Nancy this evening. And uh, Sarah, what are we talking about tonight? Well, we are talking about the uh, subject of nurture versus nature. And this is Nancy's first true crime podcast. So we're excited to have Nancy. Plus, she brings a certain flavor as she has um, a degree in psychology. So, Oh, I do not. Oh, you do not. I do not. Oh, you studied it, though. Yes, I took psych in in school, but I I have a diploma in social service work. Okay. So either way, she's But she's, I have been in the in the field for 21 years working with people that uh have various mental illnesses. Very good. So yeah, you'll add a nice flavor to this podcast. So the nurture versus nature is a long-standing debate about whether genetics or nature plays a bigger role in a person's characteristics than lived or experienced in environmental or nurturing factors. It has become one of the greatest arguments in criminal psychology and whether the lack of loving, nurturing environment or some natural factor in their genetic makeup is responsible. Some may argue it's both, and I do agree in some cases. No matter which way you lean, it is always going to lean more to one side of the argument than the other. So we're going to actually focus on four serial murderers, two in each category. Um, We're going to talk about their childhood, their behaviors, and how they were after their captures, because there is some really good significances in the differences and how they dealt with being captured and stuff. So our first subject is John Wayne Gacy, who's also known as the killer clown. He brutally murdered and sodomized 33 young men, including teenage boys, and hid their bodies in a crawl space under his house and in a river. He was a respected member of the community and a local businessman in Chicago, Illinois. He worked as Pogo the Clown, doing shows for children in hospitals. Gacy was involved in local politics, even posing with First Lady Rosalind Carter. 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 Wow. Gacy managed to go unnoticed for over 10 years, using his business as a contractor to entice young men. He was masterful at blending in and using his sociable personality to come across as an ordinary person. There's absolutely nothing ordinary about him. So how did John Wayne Gacy become a heinous serial murderer? Was he born that way or was he made? Questions? This one truly creeped me out. John Wayne Gacy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He truly creeped me out. Like, total creep. Let me get this straight. We are discussing whether or not a killer is born that way or bred to be that way. Yes. Like, whether or not... um, the factor of his family life and the environment around him has made him into a sadistic homicidal maniac, I guess, for lack of better terms, or whether or not there was something in his genetic chemical makeup in his brain that made him that way. Interesting. Did you say it was a uh, theory that came up before or something? Nancy's about to touch on that. Oh, Nancy's got something. 
So nature versus nurture is like extreme side to side. So basically nature, they're saying that you are born full of like when you're born, that's who you are. It's all in the DNA um, that your environment and the par- and how you were um, parented has nothing to do with who you become, where nurture is the other extreme where you're born basically as a blank slate and your environment and your parenting creates who you are. So when you don't get enough hugs as a child, you might end up killing people. That's just dumbing it down, completely dumbing it down, right? You know what I mean? Like if you don't have the the white picket fence and the loving parents with stable home, you know, environment, and you still become a homicidal maniac, that means there's something clearly wrong in your brain. Or you come from a home where your parents beat you or molest you or whatever, psychologically beat you down. Mentally, you start regressing and, and feeling aggression towards that parent and you act out by killing others that would be your nurture factor capiche that gets it all right good or do you have more no no go nuts did you want to talk about darwin or later oh you want me to add that piece about yeah yeah add that okay because that was such a good piece that you told me about so the nature versus nurture um, argument was coined by naturalist Char- Charles Darwin's younger half-cousin, anthropologist Francis Galton, around 1875. So that is how far back this goes. And it is quite the debate in the um, the psych uh, community. community. That That's interesting because that's been around for over 100 years. So like almost what, 150 something years. Yeah. Something like that. So, I mean, that that just goes to show that this this debate, this argument has been around for a long time. And I don't think we ever will get a full scientific proof of whether you fall under one category or the other. So, but in terms of serial killers, we have four subjects that we can probably determine who falls under what. All right. So, John Wayne Gacy was born on March 17th, 1942 in Chicago, Illinois. His father was an abusive alcoholic who would come home from work, sit in the basement, and drink until it was dinner time, where he would start fights. He would beat his children and his wife. FBI profiler John Douglas wrote in his book, The Anatomy of Motive, that the abusive, unstable life of killers can produce a severe lack of self-worth, self-confidence, which is evident in Gacy's early childhood. His father displayed a dominance of over his entire family, asserting control in an already negative environment. Gacy's father would often emasculate Gacy as a boy, calling him names like sissy, worthless, stupid, and effeminate. He would deny his son food and beat him often. Gacy was otherwise a well-behaved child who really just wanted his father's approval. Something I'm sure we can all relate to in one way or another, wanting a parent's approval. Um, He wanted to please and satisfy him, but in return, the attention his father gave him came attached to belts and brooms. Dom would also suffer some illnesses as a child, which prevented him from playing sports, segregating him from many of his schoolmates, making it even harder to get his father's approval and connect with him. An accident in the schoolyard to his head would be correlated to many blackouts in his teen years. Nobody? All right. All right. Keep going. (laughs) As a young man, he married in 1966 and moved to Iowa, where he was active in the community and part of the local JCs. That's the junior comp. The Junior Chamber of Commerce. I don't know if we have them up here. I have no idea. But accusations in 1967 by an underage son of a local politician that Gacy sexually assaulted him would lead, land Gacy in prison. He was then accused of attempting to hire another young boy to beat and terrify the, terrify the other boy from testifying. It didn't work. 
Gacy was charged with sodomy and sentenced to 10 years and sent to Adamaeus State Penitentiary in December of 68, and his wife divorced him. While in prison, Gacy adjusted well to the structured life, choosing to keep his crime a secret or in order to survive and downplayed what he did because it is absolutely known in prison, whatchamacallit, the scale of whom Any, Anybody who performs... Uh, acts against children. Acts against children of any sort. Uh, you become a lesser citizen even in jail. You are the lowest of the lowest. You, there is no lower than you. There are people who have shot other men in the face, in the back of the head, stabbed them while they were sleeping, all that kind of yep. stuff. They're above anybody who yep. touches a child. Yep, exactly. And rightfully so. You yeah, know, and like, I agree. You I know, agree. you kill a child, you, you should. touch them inappropriately, I'm sorry, you're getting those beatings, and you deserve it. You do. So, <coughs> he, was an act, he was active in prison, and with the prison JCs, the choir worked in the kitchen and stayed out of trouble. Gacy was able to convince the parole board that he was not a threat and barely served 18 months. One thing I wanted to put in is that everybody's got that dark thoughts in their head. You know, like, you know, uh, you're in Walmart, someone's kid's screaming their head off. You're like, oh, just shut the fuck up. I'd like to put a loaf of bread in that kid's mouth. You know, like, whatever <laughs> the dark thought is that goes through your brain. The problem is... Most of us know not to act upon that. We know it's wrong. And yeah. we know what the consequences are. And we understand what the consequences are. And I'm not saying that these guys don't. Because that's a whole different ball game, right? <coughs> so, um, we we just have the better control. We have the sense of control. The sense of um, logic. The sense of notability. The sense but then of that would bring into question a, a third. So, you've got your nature that you were born that way. And you've got your nurture which you were raised that way. But then you've got your um, defective things, like taking a ding to the head. He probably had brain damage, ergo he couldn't logically determine what was a good idea, what was a bad idea. Hey, hi Nancy, I like your pen, it's got a smiley face on it. Jeez Louise! It's so appropriate for And this. the thing too, like when you have brain damage, when I was, uh, I worked for a while in brain injury, and they have somewhat of an idea of how our brains function but like you and i could have the same brain injury and we would present differently absolutely so they have no idea what's going to change when you have a certain injury or how damaged it is and when there is an injury to the brain mental underlying mental illness will come forward yeah absolutely and i i think in any any aspect of crime if you're committing a heinous crime, whether it be a sexual assault or molestation of children or murder, there's obviously some kind of mental defect there no matter what. Well, and I think with all four of these that you uh, wrote about, mm -hmm. they all have some sort of a mental illness. Oh, yeah, for sure. There has to be some kind. Nobody, yeah. But I think you look at it, everybody has some kind of mental issue. But it's not necessarily an illness, but an issue, I mm -hmm. think. And it's just whether... How you deal with it or how you're treated for it or how early it's diagnosed can be a de like a determining factor of how you eventually grow into adulthood. Yeah. And how it changes. If they know you have a brain injury as a child, they're most likely going to monitor you and your behavior and your whether your intelligence goes up or goes down. Yeah. And where you are where you fit on certain educational scales as well as morale morale scales. So I think yeah, it comes into play. And so if he was born in the 40s, 
And as a teen, he got that. So that means that's that putting was him in the, the 50s, the 60s. 50s, or there would have been no no, no research for yes. it. Absolutely, I agree. So, all right. Oh yes, man. If I'm quiet tonight, it's only because I'm watching the microphones. I'm doing new things so that uh, we can get better sound quality going. And I've already had the system shut off twice on me. So if I'm quiet tonight, that's because I'm kind of. I'm playing backroom editor guy at the same time, so. All right. Okay. So Gacy would move back to Chicago and remarry. He began a small business of painting and doing minor repairs to homes, which would grow into a successful contracting business. Once again, Gacy integrated himself into the into his community, hosting large <sighs> neighborhood barbecues and parties, getting involved in local politics and charity work. Eventually, his needs would rear their ugly head again. His second wife began to notice Gacy becoming irritable and annoyed all the time. He started going out at night, his sexual appetite changed, and he had strange sexual requests that made her extremely uncomfortable. She witnessed him bringing young men to their garage late at night and found chains and bondage gear in the garage. When she would ask about it, Gacy would lie to her, then make her feel like it was her fault. It would become too much for her, and the and they divorced in 1977. His mother knew about her son's attraction to men, but kept his secret. With his wife gone and the house to himself, he was able to engage more in his secret life. He was com committing murder during his mur marriage, but after he seemed to escalate. He would use potential workers who came through his company to bring more men in and then would have select would select a few to get close to and then murder them. Some were transients and would end up in his crawl space. He would bring them to his home, give them booze, drugs, trick them, sexually assault them, torture and murder them. It's all about the manipulation, control, and dominance over them. He felt powerful instead of powerless. That fear got Gacy off. After the murders, Gacy was more level-headed, able to think clearly. He, was, he always had a story ready and would go about his workday as if nothing had happened. Gacy was a wizard with words, and he would commit rape and murder, and then the next day entertain children dressed as a clown. After he commit the murders, he wasn't worried about getting caught. He truly believed that his... That as an upstanding citizen in his community and all the charity work that he did that he would have he would never receive a glance he was comfortable and believable he deceived manipulate dominate and control those are his that's the key things that a lot of these murderers do and it's his arrogance that had him believing that he would would never spend a day in jail can we say narcissistic personality disorder Sorry. yes we can <laughs> <laughs> he hit literally after i read this that you sent it to me i looked up the characteristics and he hit all nine characteristics all in just, nine all nine in wow. just what you wrote and just that that section or this whole the, the whole no, gacy section yes oh the entire gacy section yes that's interesting yeah would you like me to read them to you sure okay let's go so the nine characteristics of nar narcissistic personality disorder a sense of self-importance preoccupation with power beauty or success entitled can only be around people who um are important or are special, interpersonally exploitative for their own gain, arrogant, lack of empathy, must be admired, envious of others, or believe that others are envious of them. Yeah, that's that's Gacy to a T. That I found really <laughs> interesting. <clears throat> yeah, wow. that That's good. Like, that's excellent. And it, I find it interesting that they didn't really touch on that a lot through some of the books that I've read. That's a newer... Uh, yeah, personality disorders are a newer uh, thing to the the psych community and diagnoses because they're harder to diagnose. Yes, yeah, and they work a lot like 
learning disabilities where it's almost like the Olympic rings. <laughs> right. So you have like a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And like if you have ADHD, you most likely have a bit of OCD and it all kind of intertwines and interconnects. Right. The personality disorders, from what I understand, are the same. Huh. Yeah. Because makes... if you have one. You're going to have multiple. You're going to have little snippets of others. Yes. Maybe not in the larger scale, but one's going to be higher or yes. more prominent than the others. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the walls would start closing in on him, but he maintained his cool, friendly exterior. When the police suspected him and a missing teenage boy's disappearance, Gacy would give them his daily schedule so they could keep up with him during their surveillance. As with all serial murderers, once their last kill no longer satisfies them, the need to kill overwhelms them. However, for Gacy, with the police following him everywhere, that calm and friendly demeanor was cracking. At three in the morning, Gacy drove over to his attorney's office and it is and, and is then there for a while, and one of his attorneys goes down to speak to the police and invite them inside. They find Gacy asleep on one of the office's couches, and the attorney gets the detective's chairs and some booze and tells them if Gacy tries to leave, shoot his tires out. Gacy is officially arrested on December 22, 1978. Gacy confesses to the murders three times, and during one of those times was about to 15 people. Detective said during his confessions, Gacy displayed zero emotion. He relished being in the spotlight and being able to talk about what he did. Gacy even drew a map for the police where the bodies were. But despite his confession, he was quick to blame his victims for their own deaths and never took any responsibilities for the murders. Said the boys would try to extort him for sex or money. He told FBI profiler Robert Ressler that he wasn't a monster. The media has made him out to look that way. A monster would stalk the streets for altar boys. Personally, I think Gacy's worse because those young men trusted him. When you work for somebody, you don't <sighs> expect that kind of treatment, right? So it's, I don't know. For me, if it's a family member, a friend, or a co-worker who starts to do those things to you, it's worse than somebody that you don't know. Yeah. So he admitted to all these things. Yeah. And they're like, yep, that's no problem. And then he said that, People who are out on the streets look like, how did he find his victims? What he was hired them through his company. He hired transients or young men. Transients a are basically tra homeless people or is, people who is a drifter or people who move to town to town. Yeah. Different jobs all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, someone who's already not known in the area. Yeah. yeah. Essentially. But there um, was reports of many missing, many of these men missing. Because obviously they did have people. So essentially he is doing that though. He's not looking for altar boys or whatever, but he's getting people that aren't going to be missed. Yeah. Or He's downplaying these these men's yeah. importance to their families and to the community. Because he's more important. That's just okay. Well. <laughs> all right. If you could see on. his face right now, you would laugh. Oh my God. Some people's kids, eh? <laughs> It soon came to light that Gacy would be useful, a careful minute, would, bleh. wow, can I start that over again? It soon came to light that Gacy would use careful manipulation to put his victims at ease, showing them tricks he used while entertaining children. He supplied them with booze and drugs, then tricked them into using what he described as the rope trick, where he would con them into getting tied up. Okay, our neighbors are having a lot of fun tonight. Uh, before his trial, Gacy was examined by 13 psychiatrists, six for the defense and seven for the prosecution. Gacy was diagnosed with borderline personality and antisocial behavior. Gacy behemothly denies this diagnosis based on how much he says he was involved in the community. But everything he did publicly was for himself and, it, and his way to create a persona to hide behind 
and to shield who he really was. A mask to make him look like a friendly, jovial, and charitable guy. But in reality, he was capable of understanding and actually caring for nobody. He lacks complete empathy for anyone but himself. So the borderline personality um, surprised me. I think um, that's the only personal um, diagnosis they had for personality back then. Possibly. Uh, 70s, I mean, right? he could fit part of it because you get that it is a um, a trauma response right, to abuse as a child. And so part of it would make sense. Um, but he didn't really meet any of the other criteria, like that I have seen personally in mm-hmm. people with BPD. Um, has that criteria? Would that criteria have changed though from the seventies to now? Oh, absolutely, probably, yeah. If we were to research the evolution, I guess, in lack of better terms, of that diagnosis and the criteria to meet the BDP, the BPD, I can't say it. I'm sorry. Well, NPD is new. Narcissistic personality yes. disorder is new. Yes. It's very hard to diagnose BPD. So with personality disorders, there's no blood test. Right. Yeah. There's no genetic testing. It's okay, you've there's fifteen points and you've met, you know, eleven. Yes. So this is what you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and then basically you're given an antipsychotic. But um that's how they it's how they do that. Right. So but obviously back in the late seventies they wouldn't have had that capability, right? Or the probably not that much much research. No, probably not. Because I mean, even profiling was brand new in the se- or mid late mid to late seventies. Yeah. So and being able to bring in the criminal profiling into it, even when they did have a psychologist on like on board and working with them and doing the papers and stuff, it, there was still a lot. I think that they could have benefited even further along like later in like two decades later it that whole manual that they wrote the cl- crime classification manual and this the sex motive manual and stuff like that would have changed because the criteria for certain personality disorders would have changed as well yeah right so but despite confessing to the murders gacy pleads guilty by the reason of insanity which is disproven via the mcnaughton rule the mcnaughton rule consists of two elements that must be considered in an insanity plea one the defendant must be suffering from a mental defect or disease at the time of the murder and two the defendant did not know the nature or quality of the criminal act they committed or that the act was wrong because of the mental defect or disease in short the defendant doesn't know right from wrong at the time of the crime gacy knew what he was doing he knew it was wrong or he wouldn't have had the foresee the foresight to hide all of the bodies and cover up the decomposition decomposition spell and go on without a second thought. He knew where all 33 bodies were, drew a map, and he even tried the MPD, which is the Multiple Personalities Disorder, um, route to help facilitate his insanity defense. During one of the searches of Gacy's home, police found a chapter of the ins- on the insanity defense marked in a criminal justice book. Oh, hang on. Matt's got something. So he actually researched which illnesses would best fit how he could get away with it. Basically, yeah. Which shows a line of intelligence. What he... a dad. <laughs> now, did he have a bad upbringing or was yes. it? Yeah. Were you not listening? Well, I'm just trying to keep everything straight. Yeah. He was abused by his father. Okay. So this one wasn't born evil, but it sounds like he was. We're getting there. Oh, we're getting there. Yeah, he's, but he's, you're on it. He's got the, Sarah's got the shit eating grin on her face right now. Like <laughs> That's she's because Matt's something. getting it. And when you, when Matt gets something and starts to understand it, it's neat. <laughs> 
because that means I'm doing something right. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Thank you. <laughs> so Gacy's lawyers <clears throat> fought for their client to be institutionalized for life, but the prosecutors pointed out how rational and methodical Gacy was by meticulously planning, executing, and concealing the murders. They believed prison was where he belonged, and they would go one step further. They would seek the death penalty. During the trial, Gacy generally sat stoic and emotionless, but would smile and chuckle when some victims' pictures were shown to the court. In an interview after his conviction with FBI profiler Robert Ressler, Gacy was placing the blame on two workers he employed. Gacy claimed they killed and placed the bodies of the young men under his house. He told Ressler that they both had keys to his home and often stayed there. He says he had no knowledge of how the bodies got there. Gacy showed no empathy, no remorse, and refused to take responsibility for the crimes he was found guilty for in court of law. He denied everything right up until his execution via lethal injection on May 10th, 1994. So let's break it down real quick. <laughs> his childhood was filled with physical, verbal, and emotional abuse by his father. He suffered a head injury in his early teens. He was incarcerated for sodomy of a minor. He used his business to lure young men in by being friendly and helpful with the promise of employment. He used drugs and alcohol to diminish their capacity to have sex with them, wanted or not, then strangle or suffocate them. No blood or noise. He knew how to hide the bodies. And after the murders, he was arrogant, not scared about capture, calm and stress-free. He refused to accept responsibility, blamed everyone else. He showed no remorse, no emotion. If someone else did the murder of those young boys, why didn't he tell the police that from the beginning? So thoughts? I feel that he leans heavily into the nurture category. Yes, but you could also say nature... <laughs> For him, because of his father was abusive and al alcoholic and treated him like crap, that he could also have been born with those personality traits. So you could either, <clears throat> excuse me, you could argue either side. Except for the fact that his, well, yeah, she could, but play devil's advocate here, right? Yeah. Except for the fact that his father would abuse the people closest to him where Gacy didn't do that. He didn't abuse his wife and he didn't abuse his stepkids or his kids or whatever. He abused and murdered people outside of his general circle, like his inner circle. Mm -hmm. They were still in his circle, but they weren't in that close circle. Like, you know, like if you murdered somebody, like if your ex went missing or something, you'd be the first suspect. You know what I mean? Like that's your inner circle, the people closest mm -hmm. to you. Gacy showed foresight not doing that. And he doesn't have a history of abuse against his wives. A little weird sexual history there, but that's a different podcast. You know, like if we ever decide to cover John Wayne Gacy his life, his entire life, and his entire crime spree, including details upon each murder and victim. Obviously, I want to make sure the victims are important. Um, we will see more of that. But there was no history of abuse to his wives or anything, unlike his father, who abused his wife and his children. So Gacy channeled that, whether it be different or not, he channeled it outside of that immediate circle. Yeah, it's really interesting because I find that if you were abused as a child, you either go one way or the other. You either become an abuser or you become the exact opposite, opposite. incredibly nurturing, incredibly empathetic because you don't want anybody to feel the way that you felt. Right. Yeah, exactly. And he's kind of like Which in a weird falls middle. Under the nurture part. Yeah. But he's yeah. in like the middle, right? For me, he's in the middle because you're right. He did grow up in an abusive home. So those characteristics would be a little bit in ingrained in him. There's no history of what his grandfather was like, unfortunately. And that's where True. we would need. But that also goes down the line. Right. Like, per, uh, parenting tactics and styles goes down the line. 
and it, it's all to one person where they're like, yeah, we're not. There's only a, one person in that family who can break that chain. Yeah. One generation, I should say. Yeah. And but, he might have broke the chain in terms of abusing his own family, but he didn't break the chain in abusing others. Yeah. Did he have kids? Did he? End up I believe he kids? did. Okay. I believe he did. I don't know if they were his stepkids or if he actually had kids. I can't remember. But if we, like I said, if we cover Gacy in the future as like a middle of the season kind of podcast, I'll, I'll have all that stuff. Yeah. And to all of your comments about him, there is a very fine line between insane and genius. Very fine very line. Very fine line. Very. But he is a prick. Big dick. You know. Like the fact that he got arrested though for sodomizing a minor, but not the fact that he touched a minor. It was more about the fact that he sodomized somebody. It goes to show the difference between 1968 and now. Because, mm-hmm. uh, A, sodomy is not a crime now. Well, at least not yet again, because I'm sure in the States it's coming. Um, You know, because the way things are going down there. But that's a different podcast. Now it would be the fact that he molested or touched a minor. And like, that probably started part of the arrogance. Yes. Because he got out after 18 months because he was on good behavior. So if I act a certain way, and people view me a certain way, yeah, I can get away with anything. That's because there's, he's smart enough to watch the people around him, how they act. He was smart enough not to even tell people why he was in yeah. there. And and the fact that he went with a multiple personality disorder diagnosis, because not all the time, but sometimes um, in studies I've read, when somebody has, I believe it's called DID now, Dissociative Identity Disorder. Right, right. Yeah. Um, when they have that, they they are aware that there are other personalities in there. They're not always aware of what the other personalities are doing when they're in the forefront. Right. So that right there for him to say, no, I have this and it wasn't this personality. It was Bob that took over, you know, Julie took over the other one. Like, that's what I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also harder to prove. Well, it's not harder to prove, actually. But. For him, he didn't know the logistics of how that worked in the first place. He yeah. didn't. He only. Oh, I know of this diagnosis. Yes, and that'll get me out of this. Right, but he doesn't know how it works or how to yeah. deal with it. Or and that how, would mean what it displays because it displays differently for everybody. Yes, and an insanity plea would mean that he wasn't responsible and wouldn't have to take the blame. Yeah, responsibility. That's what it is. Yeah, that's almost like saying I have multiple personality disorder, and so do I. Yeah. You know what? Oh, no, like, but if you're multiple, one of your personalities also has that. <laughs> yeah, take it that, that one other step. That gets into, yeah, yeah, that gets messy. So if you are having sex with somebody that has <coughs> multiple personality disorder and they like switch up in the middle of it, would that be considered like a threesome or a foursome <laughs> or an orgy? I think so. <laughs> oh my gosh. This might be an easy south. way to get the, the sticker. You know, <gasps> I had a four way. Really? How many people were there? Well, lots, but just two of us. Two bodies. It's like, <laughs> what? Hmm. Tricky to explain that. It is tricky, but that's actually a very valid question, I think. It, it, I'm sorry. It, to me, it's a valid question. <clears throat> it kind of reminds me of this cartoon that's on Netflix. I think it's called Farzar. And they hire this chick who's like this badass mercenary kind of, you know, 
kind of Mad Max kind of punk rock, right? Well, she's a conjoined twin. And the other half is a kindergarten teacher. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it gets weird because they share the same lady bits. And then they, like, designate time in between who gets to use the lady bits at what time. And the one guy hadn't pulled out by the time the buzzer went, and she accused him of sleeping with her sister. Oh, my God. Yeah. he had right, moving on. Anyway, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Multiple personalities. It gets weird. Yeah, especially when two heads are better than one. <laughs> okay, so how about we flip the coin now to the other side, right? Let's flip the coin. Let's flip the coin. If you feel you want to know more about our next subject's crimes, you can always go and listen to our two-part series of the Atlanta Child Murders. Oh, we're giving this one a quick fast forward? So no, no. We, no? No. So, uh, did you want a time count? I don't really care. If it goes over a little bit, it's going to... We're at 33 minutes. Okay. So, Wayne Bertram Williams was accused of killing 30 children and young men. He was convicted of only two of the 30 murders, both adult men. Whether he was responsible for some or all of the remaining 28 has never been looked into further. Personally, I think he's guilty for at least 10 of the remaining cases, but that really isn't the point here. You can hear that on the other podcast. So, how does Wayne Williams fit into the nurture versus nature debate? Well, let's we need to look at his childhood. This one was tr- tricky because researching a childhood wasn't easy. I had to go buy a book. Um, <laughs> unlike John Wayne Gacy, William, Williams came from a stable and loving home. His parents were married until they died and owned their home, had stable jobs as teachers, didn't use drugs or drink al- alcohol very often. They lived in a middle-class neighborhood of Atlanta, despite many of the other middle-class families moving to the suburbs to get away from growing lower-income households. They were not abusive towards each other or to their only child, Wayne. They supported and encouraged Wayne in whatever he chose to do. Williams was well-educated, articulate, at a slightly above-average IQ. He was described by his teachers as quiet, intelligent, respectful, and a helpful student. He never showed much interest in girls or had many friends. He had interests in music and electronics. Sounds like a normal upbringing to me. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're young and you're a boy, you know, girls still have cooties. Right. You know, and being, it sounds like, the more nerdy type because he's into electronics and stuff like that, he might have trouble finding ladies. So, like, that wouldn't be so much in the upbringing, but more so his coming of age. Exactly. That's correct. you have anything to add? No. Okay. So, like many of our other serial murders, Wayne Williams was a loner and preferred his own company. He would often get bullied, but his quick wit and gift of gab would get him out of the situations without any violence. He learned early how to manipulate people in situations to get what he wanted. Williams made made decisions to put off his post-secondary aspirations with the support of his parents. They helped finance his talent agent career. Williams was on the hunt for for talent to make the next Jackson 5. Really? Yeah. Um, It's getting harder to see because of the light. Um... He would eventually go to college briefly, but found the regimented discipline not his thing. So I, I think it's not uncommon for some of these men to have issues with regimented discipline because they, they want to have control of their own. Well, if if 
He's kind of like an, a geeky alpha, which is a weird spin on things. Yeah. Right? Um. So that would be, yeah. That's a head scratcher. It is a head scratcher. It's like a bully showing up for chess matches and stuff. <laughs> you know, it's like, sup, bitches, you're going to get owned and table flipping and Check shit. mate, son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah, and then he punches you in the face or something. Yeah. You know, like, like yeah. it, such a weird combo. Okay. So, William's first brush with the law <sighs> happened in 1976 when he was arrested for impersonating a police officer. This is a common rouse, ruse that many killers will use in order to appear non-threatening. Like, for their victims, they'll dress up or have a cop car. Bundy did it, too. Oh, wow. Um, those Cosplay. Yeah, exactly. But those who don't go far will often insert themselves into investigations by joining searches, being helpful with tips, or buddying up to cops at their after-hour hangouts. Did any of them actually make up a cruiser? I thought I heard one of the serial killers actually had a cruiser. Yeah, we're getting there. Oh, we're getting there. Okay, I didn't. So, but Williams was never convicted, but he chose to keep his replica uniforms, police light, and scanner in his car. He even had a police-type dog, a German Shepherd, which, if you remember, his name is Sheba. Uh, Williams lived in a fantasy world to make his ordinary, boring life seem more exciting. His interest in young boys was supposedly to find the next big thing. He had dreams of managing the next Jackson 5, as I had said earlier. One has to wonder if that was really the case. His job as an alleged talent scout would have him out all over the city at all hours of the day and night looking for potential singers. He would hang up flyers in all the youth hangouts like malls and arcades. He even had the name picked out, Gemini, after his own astrological sign. But despite his parents' support and encouragement, they ended up suffering financially. Both Williams and his father began freelancing as videographers and photographers. They would use the scanner in the car to get to fires, accidents, and crime scenes, sometimes beating the first responders, including the police. They would sell their photos and video footage to both news outlets and the police. Williams was meticulous, organized, obsessive-compulsive, self-assured, and non-threatening. He had the ability to blend into the predominantly African-American neighborhoods where he could move in and out unnoticed. He was familiar with how the children in those neighborhoods moved around the city, doing jobs to make money, and he knew they went mostly unsupervised. In a media interview, Williams blamed the victims and their families for their fate. <clears throat> this might be a totally different podcast, but <laughs> I think it was like, I, was, I saw somewhere where there is a high uh, correlation between people that are Geminis and that are serial killers. Really? Or killers just in general. Hitler was an Aries. Really? Yes. Huh. Because when you look at the, <laughs> you look at the sign for a Gemini, it's the twin. Yep. Yeah. That's interesting. I never mm-hmm. even thought of that. Yeah. That might be an extra podcast. Hmm. Talk about astrological signs and what they might mean. Mm-hmm. All right. Williams was smart and careful. He knew where where and how to dispose of bodies, allegedly. Don't come for me. He never sexually assaulted them. He paid close attention to the investigation through the media. When news broke that fibers were found on some of the bodies was leaked by the media, Williams changed his modus operandi when it came to his dump sites. He started dumping their bodies in the rivers without their clothes on. He thought of police and FBI as keystone cops and cocky enough to believe he would never get caught. Just like all killers, their egos get the better of them and they make a mistake. Sorry, I have a question. Yeah. What do you mean by... Modus oper- operandi. Oh my operandi. god. What, yeah. Modus operandi is basically yeah. what they do to, what they need to do for the crime. Like, that can change. So, like, you might use a gun for one, but you might use a knife for another. 
So that can change, right? Okay. So the modus operandi, his normal one was dumping them in fields or on abandoned properties or whatever, right? And when the, when the fibers were found on some of the bodies, he chose to change that and dump them in the rivers. A signature okay. is something they don't have to do, but they need to do. Like so essentially, a sign. essentially a modus operandi is he does the same actions each time or slight variations of the same actions each time, which makes up a lot of the profile, actually. Yes, it does. Uh, As so does like, signature. Like... He'll, you know, rape, kill, put a rag in their mouth, tie them up, put them in a bag, put them in the ocean. And, and you know, those will be the key modus operandi. But some of the smarter ones will realize that they're developing a modus operandi and they'll change the entire thing to try to continue on with a different modus operandi. So it's a series of operations in which, for some reason, they fall into because it worked the first time and it worked the second time and it well crap it's going to work the third time oh wait i just made a pattern i'm going to change that or now. they might find a way to better the crime so it's it more efficient yes okay it's part of the pattern a signature is also part of the pattern but it's a signature is basically something that they need to do but not necessarily have to do like say staging the crime scene so you might have a body there and you don't have to spread it spread the girl's legs and insert something into her but that but they have the need but to. they have that need to they have to do it okay yeah we're so that more so it goes with like the ocd and yes the obsessive yeah. Compo- okay yeah thank you sorry no no problem no problem where the hell was i uh make a mistake right so fbi profilers predicted that he would dump the bodies of his victims in the river so law enforcement began staking out those bridges Williams crossed the bridge after an officer heard a splash and was pulled over. It was Williams' behavior that got law enforcement's attention. First thing out of Williams' mouth was is was if this was about the murdered children and the fact that he seemed nervous and agitated. He told the FBI a story about why he was on the bridge, which would not check out. Police had nothing to hold him on, so they let him go. They planned on keeping an eye on him. The days following Williams' encounter on the bridge, neighbors noticed a change in behavior and not and not just with Wayne, but with his parents as well. Neighbors noted that the normally friendly family were now either curt in their interactions or ignored them altogether. Wayne and his father would clean up the yard and car and burning stuff on their grill. And there was also an indication that they were cleaning the inside of their home as well. That's interesting. To me, that says that, A, okay, there's a couple things. One, Williams isn't doing this by himself. His father's mm-hmm. also involved. Mm-hmm. Don't come for me. Oh, he's probably dead. Um, or B, at least his parents knew. Yes. That there was something going on. And it's interesting that he's an only child. It's an only, He's an only child. And the fibers that they found, and this would come out in the testing later, was that the fibers would match the carpet fibers, a blanket fiber, dog hair from the, their dog from within the home. How often were his parents gone from that home? They couldn't have been gone all the time. Not for 30 victims. No. Or at least even 10 that these fibers were found on. And like, would there not be remnants left in the house? That's why they're cleaning. Uh You clean up and you vacuum all that stuff. You get rid of the vacuum bag because probably was one of those upright Kirby's back in the 80s, you know, and you had to unzip the bag and take the bag out, throw it out. If you don't, if you're not a crime scene tech and you don't pick up that vacuum bag once it's on the curb, you've lost evidence. 
Yeah. So the only thing they didn't weren't smart enough to do was get rid of the blankets and shit. Or the dog. Because they can match the dog hair to the dog. Maybe not DNA right away. Not not, not in the early 80s. Eventually, they could probably match the dog hair from the samples they took from the dog into the samples that they found on the body. They could probably find the DNA if there's enough of it. So there's got to be mitochondrial DNA on that on those dog hairs, even today, if they were stored properly. But yeah, so they had to be involved some way, but they were never charged or even looked at. So to me, it's fishy. Yeah. Like, what are you burning on that grill? Like hmm. things that make you go, hmm. hmm. All serial killers usually take souvenirs of some kind. So did they take a shoelace, a pair of underpants? Eventually, some of the victims were found in the rivers naked. So he had to have done something with their clothing. Hmm. 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 Right? So souvenir is souvenir taking is a compulsion of all serial killers. It's a way for them to relive their crimes. So they take that girl's bra that they they took off the body of the girl they raped and murdered and they can smell it or feel it and touch it and they relive that crime over again eventually that that fantasy or that crime the memories of it will fade and they'll have that compulsion to do it again and then and that course they'll take something else like a pair of underwear or a sock or a ring or a watch is there always a sexual component yes interesting because a lot of the times these guys can't get off normal life the only way they can get off is by exerting power they get off on the fear they get off on the having the power and the dominance hmm. yeah you want to read some of my profiling books now don't you <laughs> so i'm going to say something that's going to mess with everybody's heads Uh-oh. um apparently sexual kinks are genetic huh interesting they can be developed with daddy issues mommy issues all that kind of thing but they can be genetic as well going back to john wayne gacy Interesting that you said mommy-daddy issues. Clearly, he had daddy issues. Clearly. Do you think that might be why he focused on mostly males? Well, he was what? It was back in the late war, 50, mid 60s, 60s, late 60s, mid so 70s. So being gay was illegal. against the law. Yes, it was illegal. And people were killed for being gay. <laughs> and um, that was probably his way of living out. That he was actually gay, mm-hmm. but probably had something to do with why he killed, because he was trying to hide a part of him that he knew wasn't socially acceptable. Right. And that wouldn't be um, acceptable by the people that I want to revisit this back in part two, because obviously, you know, the subject in part two that I want to talk about the same thing with. Um, I want to revisit this. So just remind me to revisit the whole Gacy killing men. Yeah. Okay. Matt's telling me to move on. Okay. I'm almost done with part one. Yeah. Okay. So police had to bring him in for questioning where he denies any involvement in the murders and he took a polygraph allegedly three times and failed all of them. That's when Williams had to take control back. He needed to regain the upper hand and in a brazen move, Wayne Williams invited the press into his home to address the allegations of his possible involvement in the case. The catch was they couldn't show his face. Kind of like Charles Manson, who would sit high above his followers to hold court to be pure bigger than he was. Williams was basically doing the same. Manson manipulated his followers, and Williams was manipulating the press. He admitted that he failed the polygraph and then pretty much placed the blame on the victims and their families. He then said he wants an apology from law enforcement and the public. Williams 
also spun a beautiful tapestry of obvious grandiose lies. He said he was a race car driver and flew fighter jets in the Air Force despite wearing very thick ass glasses. He claimed the vic- that he was a victim because the police were under pressure to solve this case and pinning it on a black man was to prevent a race war. That's also narcissistic personality disorder yes. for sure. Yes, especially when you talk about gra- the grandiose. Grandiose? Yeah. Because, um, yeah, no, wow. He's living a fantasy life to make his ordinary mundane life seem more important. We also uh, determined that most serial killers stick within their own race, do they not? Generally speaking, yes, they do. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously the odd one that might go out of their, their race, but he stuck. All of his victims were black. And so... And mostly boys, with the exception of two, but I don't think those two girls were even connected to this case. Was Gacy all just white then? All white men. All huh. white gay men. Or all white men. I don't know if they were all gay. Very educational tonight. Very educational. I am learning lots. I love seeing that Nancy's learning because I keep <laughs> seeing her face light up like, holy shit, I didn't realize that. Yeah, we're getting a new true crime or teammate I, I train. I think I might have converted. We miss Kelly dearly, but we... We, we needed to train a replacement, and now Nancy's loving it, so this might work out already. This might work out perfectly. You add some psych in there, and I'm down. Yeah, I like the psychology part, because I like to understand why they do what they do. That's why I'm into this shit. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, after he was taken into custody, the FBI profilers began to assist in the prosecution by reading body language of the jurors, as well as Williams. They predicted, and by they, I mean John Douglas, because he's the god of profiling, um... They predicted he wouldn't confess, and they were right. But the pre- they did predict that his ego and arrogance would get the best of him, and he would take the stand. When he did, John Douglas assisted the prosecution in getting Williams to snap and show his true angry self. When Williams fell into the trap, which legitimately scared the jurors, Douglas then predicted that in a, in that within a week, Williams would suddenly fall ill in an attempt to garner sympathy. That's exactly what happened, and exactly a week. His behavior on the stand, the fact that he showed zero remorse and the fiber evidence, is what secured his conviction of two counts of first-degree murder and is now serving two back-to-back life sentences. So let's break it down. Also very only child syndrome. Uh-huh. Because, you know, the world revolves around me. Yeah, it's one that Matt and I are trying to prevent with our own child, um, <laughs> which is not easy to do. It's not. It's not easy to do when you have an only child. So you're not doing it intentionally. You're, but when you're trying to purposely not make your child feel like the world revolves around them, it's hard. It's very hard. But I'm aware of the fact that only child syndrome is an issue, and I'm always conscious about making sure River doesn't have that. We could sort out some kind of custody agreement. I have three children, and I'm willing to share. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I like Mikey. He can come live with us. Mikey can come stay with us. He seems like a cool cat. <laughs> All right. So let's break it down. So he came. Williams came from a happy, loving home. Stable parents who were supportive, encouraging, and responsible. Lived in a middle-class home and neighborhood. Good student who was well-liked by his teachers. He's a loner, preferred to be by himself. Caught with police paraphernalia. Was non-threatening, small, doughboyish, wore thick glasses. Interested in young boys and male teens for the supposed formation of a music group. Compulsive liar. Meticulous, OCD, lived in a fantasy world. Blamed others for the victim's death, including the victims themselves, refuses to accept responsibility, no emotion or remorse. When confronted by police, he was nervous and agitated. Otherwise, he's arrogant, overly confident, egotistical, and had a need for control. Oh, Matt's got something. No? Okay. There are differences and similarities between Gacy and Williams, but the biggest difference was their childhood. 
They were the complete opposite. The only similarities were both crimes were of um, sexual sadism. And although Williams never raped or sexually assaulted his victims, he still got off on the hunt, the control, and the fear. Killing them was his sexual release. Both Gacy and Williams were quick to blame others, never really admitting to anything. Sure, Gacy allegedly confessed to 15 police and attorneys, but there was no audio or video documentation to prove that. It is in my honest opinion that Gacy was a product that primarily based on nurture and Williams was a clear-cut sign of nature. Yes, so? Um, yeah, I think I'm going to wait until after part two before... You weigh in? I weigh in on who I think is which way and which way is what way. Okay, you need more information. Yeah. Yeah. You oh, know, I'm just kind of doing the sponge thing right now. Yeah. It'll give me a reason to come back for part two, which is uh, next up. week. So uh, stay tuned. Yep. Do you have a little more too? Just a little yep. closing. Alrighty. So in closing of part one, there isn't any clear official record of whether John Wayne Gacy and Wayne, Wayne Williams fit into nurture or nature, nor will there be for the next two subjects. These are my opinions and probably and any opinions given by the three of us is our own opinions. And none of us are certified to give any mental advice, legal advice, or any other type of advice, although I'm kind of good at rolling a doobie. So <laughs> if you need some advice with that, I could probably help you out. But for my, my opinions are based on the definition in relation to severe criminal activity and what I've learned on my own. But let's face it, everyone is capable of murder if we're put in the right circumstance. That's a natural part of us. It is what makes us apex predators. It doesn't excuse it, and it's absolutely not something we should explore. But it is that capability knowing we could, if we were ever pushed to it, which separates us from those who feel a compulsion and those who don't. Those, oh, hey, I can and will, and I don't care whose lives I take. Those types of people. We see people as human beings, not objects to do with as we please. We know right from wrong, and we know that the punishment far outweighs the reward. I agree. Don't stab your friends and stuff like that. Cause <laughs> don't stab strangers either. Yeah, don't stab anybody. Don't kill anybody. Yeah. That's not cool. But if you come for my child, I'm not holding well, back. Well, then then I might. That would, what, would that be snapping? What is Where would snapping no, that would fall? That's protection. Yeah. So that's not so much a killer or a serial killer. That's more of a self-defense kind of deal. Yeah. Gotcha. Ten four. Stand your ground. I don't or, know if we have the stand your ground law here in Canada, but we should. Uh, we probably have some variation of it, but probably not the same. No, probably not. Because like, not even every state, not every state in the states have stand your ground. Like, don't some states have it that if you come onto my property unannounced, I can shoot you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think Florida has it, and yeah. so does Texas. Well, of course, Texas does. They have the most gun population. Yeah, but, and I think, I think, I want to say Indiana or Iowa has it. Or, you, no, was it Utah? Utah and Arizona, I think, have it as well. All righty. So, you're good? That's it. That's the end of part one. Uh, stay tuned for part two, like I said, next week. Don't forget to check out our uh, Facebook fan page. We've got Instagram. We've got a Twitter thing going on. We've got the Tiki Talk. We've got the Tickety Talk thing going on. We've got the Instacart Gram thing going. Yeah. You can order us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll show up right tight. Price. Yeah. Three payments. Yeah. Anyways, I've been Mystery Matt. Have a great evening. <laughs>